Imagine you're just a child, way back in the early 1800s. Your wealthy family has just uprooted their lives to move to rural Tennessee and run a farm. For a while, things just feel right. You're settling into your new life and enjoying the fresh air and nature that encompasses your new home. The neighbors are all very welcoming and inviting you to church and greeting you warmly with open arms. Well, most of your neighbors. There's a certain family who live on the plot just next to yours, and you start to hear inklings that the matriarch of the family is a witch. But being a good, God-fearing child, you rebuke these claims and continue planting roots. After a few years and several physical altercations with the witch next door, strange instances start to manifest and wear on you. The serene forest nights are no longer peaceful. You are deprived of sleep because all you can hear are the sounds of footsteps while the rest of the house is asleep. The screams of your sister being attacked by an unseen entity and witnessing your father's rapidly deteriorating health. The peaceful atmosphere of the countryside is shattered by these disturbing events, leaving you and your family in a state of fear and distress. Hello all and welcome to Creeps and Creeps. I'm your host, Cece Delaney, and today we're going to be discussing the haunting of the Bell Witch. But first, if you're new here, welcome. I hope that by the end of this episode, you like this content enough to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you stream your podcasts and are compelled to leave a like or review. I'm trying to build a communicative creepy crew around these parts, so any questions, comments, concerns, they're all welcomed and encouraged in the comment section on YouTube or the related Instagram posts at Creeps and Creeps. Now let's get started. In 1804, John Bell moved his wife Lucy and their nine children, Jesse, John Jr., Drury, Benjamin, Esther, Zadok, Elizabeth, who they call Betsy, Richard Williams, and Joel Egbert from North Carolina to Robertson County. John was lucky enough to come across 320 acres of farmland along the Red River for sale, as well as a cave on the adjoining land. Unfortunately for him, his neighbor and fellow farmer, Kate Batts, also spotted the land and at some point during the purchase felt that she had been cheated out of the land by the Bells, kicking off a years-long vendetta. The Bells were quick to learn that Kate had not had it easy and was primarily the breadwinner for her family of seven. Her husband, Frederick Batts, had suffered a back injury that left him paralyzed and unable to work. Consequently, they were one of the poorer families in the area, but that really wasn't what made them the talk of the town. Apparently, Kate had a bit of an eccentric being and often drew attention to herself by strange and exaggerated behavior. She was known around town to be a bit of a drama queen and attention-seeking and would loudly demand her friend's attention in public and just being a general nuisance. She would also square up with the residents on site just to cause a scene and would badger the neighborhood ladies for pins, usually bullying the women into handing over the pins because the women were so freaked out by Kate and thought that Kate was a witch. Fun fact, this is double messed up because Kate not only bullied the ladies of the town, but based on superstition at the time, it was believed that if you gave a witch a pin, the witch now had magical control over you. So not only was she just being super mean for very little reason and obnoxious in order to cause these women to hand over their pins, but once they did, Kate became their puppet master. Around the same time that the Bell family bought the land and the cave that was on their land, Kate had decided that it was her personal mission to torment her new neighbors. 
In fact, there was an instance in which Kate went over there simply to cause mayhem and a violent physical altercation between her and John Sr. ensued. Not that it was necessarily uncommon for Kate to march over to the Bell Farm for fun just to be problematic. It just generally didn't end with punches thrown. Obviously, being mortal enemies with an alleged witch won't usually cause fortune and abundance around your farm and home, and that rule did actually apply to the Bell family as well. Unlike Kate, the Bells were seen around Adams, Tennessee as quiet and respectful folk, and often attended church at Red River Baptist Church, where John was actually a deacon. For a little over a decade, the Bells and the Bats lived alongside one another, not really peacefully, but the Bells were about to find out just how chaotic Kate could make life for them. According to the Bells, the supernatural onslaught kicked up around 1817 when a few ethereal warnings floated through the air by an unnamed voice. One said, quote, I am a spirit. Once I was very happy, but I have been disturbed and made unhappy. I am the spirit of a person who was buried in the woods nearby and the grave was disturbed. My bones disinterred and scattered and one of my teeth was lost under the house. I am here looking for that tooth, unquote. Which was seemingly corroborated if we're assuming that the culprit in this haunting is a tortured Native American soul because according to certain locals, there's a belief that the Bell Farm and the Bell Witch Cave, which was situated on the northern part of the property, were established atop an ancient burial site of Native Americans. Legend has it that one of the Bell children and one of their little buddies accidentally unearthed a human skull from the burial ground, got pumped, and brought it back home to show their family. During their little show-and-tell session, a tooth from the skull became dislodged and slipped through the gaps in the floorboards and nobody could figure out a way to get the tooth back, thus forever linking the spirits to the house and to the family. Tuck that little nugget away because it does become important later. Another time, the same voice claimed to be a, quote, spirit from everywhere, heaven, hell, the earth, am in the air, the houses, any place at any time, have been created millions of years, unquote. Shortly after the voices were heard, things on the farm were kicked into high gear. John Bell claimed to have witnessed the apparition of a dog-like entity with a rabbit face that vanished when he tried to shoot it. Drury Bell, who is believed to be the one who dug up the skull and then accidentally lost the tooth, encountered an unknown bird of extraordinary size perched on a fence. And Betsy observed a girl wearing a green dress swinging from an oak tree branch. Dean, who was a slave owned by the Bell family, reported being followed around by a large black dog whenever he visited his wife in the evenings, which, if you're really into the whole cryptid grind, you might recognize that large black dog as a grim. Thank you, Harry Potter, for teaching me that folklore. Fortunately for us creepy paranormal enthusiasts, the youngest son, Richard, kept a detailed diary of the hauntings, which included accounts of the entity eventually shifting into the Bell household. Once inside, the entity caused knocking on doors, and walls and gnawing on beds, invisible dogs chained together and fighting, and the sound of wings flapping on the ceiling. Quite possibly the most disturbing part was the sound of choking and strangling that could be heard with the chains, dragging, and heavy objects hitting the floor. And in all cases, the source of the noise was never found. There was no evidence of rats found in the home, despite searching, and no damage from the furniture was ever discovered. And to this day, nobody really knows what caused those sounds. After a little while, the attacks really ramped up and became physically violent toward Joel, Richard Williams, and especially poor Betsy. They felt as if they were constantly being assaulted by the witch and claimed to have suffered through hair pulling, pinching, and being struck randomly. Betsy specifically reported being stuck with pins. Remember the pins that were bullied out of the hands of the women in the town? 
by Kate. Yeah, kind of wonder if they're related. The witch seemed to favor the mother Lucy Bell and son John Jr., leaving them mostly unscathed. In fact, Lucy was hailed by the spirit as the epitome of perfection among women, and the witch really showed remarkable compassion toward her. The witch would tend to Lucy when she was sick and even sung to her during times of illness. On the other hand, John Jr. engaged in lengthy and intense conversations with the witch, but consistently expressed the deep hostility toward it and went as far as to refer to her as, quote, spirit of the damned. Meanwhile, poor John Sr., his health really took a pivot downward. He experienced abrupt and intense illness and had uncontrollable shaking, trembling, choking sensations as if something were lodged in his throat, which would sometimes actually escalate to the point of swelling or paralysis in his mouth. The loyal townsfolk decided that enough was enough and it was high time to intervene on the abuse that their beloved neighbors had been enduring and tried multiple times to identify and placate the entity. But the bell witch refused to play ball and the only answer that she really ever gave was that she was summoned by local witch Kate Batts who vehemently denied having anything to do with the hauntings. Regardless, for whatever reason, the entity seemed to respond to the name Kate and even claimed to be, quote, old Kate Batts witch, unquote. So that's how everybody referred to her moving forward when they tried to communicate. In an attempt to protect the family, a man named William Porter, who was John Bell's son-in-law, attempted to catch and kill the witch by wrapping a quote-unquote shadowy figure in a blanket and trying to throw it in the fire. But according to his great-grandson, William Porter III, OG William Porter was unsuccessful because the witch had become unbearably heavy the closer he got to the fire. Which does make me wonder, if we're going off the assumption that this witch does not exist, who the hell was he trying to throw into the fire? The news of the hauntings quickly spread and attracted people far and wide who were eager to witness the witch for themselves. The apparition eventually began speaking audibly and when asked about its identity and intentions, weakly responded, quote, I am a spirit. I was once very happy, but have been disturbed, unquote. The entity offered multiple explanations for its appearances, claiming that its origin was linked to the disturbance of a Native American burial mound on the property, and it also sent Jury Bell and his friend Bennett Porter on a fruitless quest to find buried treasure after they dropped their tooth in the floorboard, which is kind of funny punishment. It's giving Blue Flower Red Thorn from Shrek. At this point, the Bell Witch was engaging in fully-fledged conversations and would accurately repeat two sermons that were delivered delivered 13 miles apart simultaneously. It also seemed to have a deep familiarity with biblical texts and seemed to relish religious debates. As a form of amusement, the witch would share gossip about activities occurring in other households and would occasionally disappear momentarily just to pop in and make sure that the tea was hot and the tea was real. Sis was checking her sources. To test the witch's abilities, family friend John Johnston's son devised a question that only his family knew the answer to and asked what his Dutch step-grandmother in North Carolina would say to the slaves if she believed that they had done something wrong. They were all shocked when the witch responded in his grandma's accent saying, quote, hut tut, what has happened now, unquote. In another instance, an Englishman who stopped by for a visit offered to investigate the situation. As he mentioned his family back in England, the witch suddenly began mimicking his English parents. Early the next morning, the witch woke him up with the voices of his worried parents just to mess around with this guy's head. I will say that there were reports that one of the presidents stopped by, but I'm only bringing it up in passing because I don't want you guys to be like, um, excuse me, you forgot this. It was really hard to corroborate. Not that any of this is just like a cakewalk to corroborate, but there's such detailed records on this guy that it's pretty much impossible that this guy was there. 
So we're just gonna ski right past that. Slight detour aside, now let's get back to the bells. Obviously, time is still trudging on and the family had to try and be as normal as possible. Some of the older boys went off and got married and had lucrative, successful careers after college, one becoming a lawyer, and Betsy, being one of the youngest, was still living at home. She had spent some time being courted by a man named Joshua Gardner, and for some reason this really pissed off the entity who worked tirelessly to ruin their relationship. During an investigation at the time, the entity was asked what it even wanted and the only thing it could provide was two goals. One, to stop Betsy from marrying the neighbor boy to whom she was currently engaged, and two, to kill John. Betsy clearly did not think that the witch was playing around and ended up breaking off the engagement with Joshua. And the witch seemed to have made good on her second threat because on December 20th, 1820, John was found dead in his bed with an alleged bottle of black poison beside him. As the family was trying to cope with the dead man in front of them, they heard a voice of the bell witch saying, quote, I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, which fixed him, unquote. Decades later, in 1894, Martin V. Ingram published his book titled, quote, Authenticated History of the Bell Witch, unquote, which is widely recognized as the first comprehensive account of the legendary phenomena and a primary source for subsequent investigations, including a lot of, like, pop culture references that are currently going on. A lot of the individuals mentioned in the book were real historical figures, kind of like what I was talking about with the president earlier, but for fairness sake, in modern times, some skeptics have questioned the authenticity of Ingram's work, considering it either a work of historical fiction or a fraudulent representation altogether. But I personally like to believe, so we're just going to ignore that opinion during this episode. You guys can tell me why you think that it's fake in the comments. All right, so I just mentioned pop culture references. That extends to the Ghost Adventures crew. If there's ever a Ghost Adventures episode dedicated to an entity, I will be watching that episode multiple times. Unfortunately for me, there absolutely was. Apparently, Zack and the Ghost Gang were the first paranormal investigative show to be granted access to the Bell Witch Cave, which is widely considered to be the home of the infamous Bell Witch and where the sacred burial grounds were also located, providing compelling evidence to the Ghost Adventures crew that it may have served as a sacred site and spiritual pathway to indigenous communities. To be honest, in my opinion, it was kind of a lame episode, but if you want to be underwhelmed by Ghost Adventures crew, it was also worth noting that individuals who have visited the cave, including recent visitors, have reported encountering unusual occurrences or falling severely ill after removing rocks or pebbles from the natural cavern. The present owner of the property has shared that they regularly receive mailed packages containing rocks, with letters pleading for the owner to return the rocks to the cave from whence they came. These packages also often include include warnings recounting incidents from the sender who suffered injuries or became extremely ill after they stole the rock. So what do you guys think? Or if you've been there, have you experienced some weird stuff? I've never been, but I've heard that Tennessee, just like the states out east as well, are generally just kind of creepy. So if you live there, let me know. Is it truly as weird as I've been told? Personally, I can get behind the story. I'm 100% a believer and also really gullible, so it isn't a huge stretch for me to believe this account. Also, I'm just fascinated by the Bell Witch in general. If you guys are interested in this case and want me to cover a specific one, please leave it in the comments on YouTube or in the related Instagram post at Creeps and Creeps Podcast. I read all of my comments, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the constructive, so please really don't be afraid to voice your opinions. That being said, don't be dickheads to each other in the comments either. Everyone's allowed to have their own opinions on any case or story or topic that I cover, so let's just remember that. If you're streaming this as a podcast episode, please consider throwing a rating my way with five stars obviously being the most helpful, and subscribing to the show. 
You can email me directly at creepsx2 at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at creeps and creeps podcast if you want to suggest a case or just shoot the shit. If you're ever curious about my sources, they'll be linked in the show notes so you can sift through them if you want. And I also have a blog post dedicated to each episode on creepsandcreeps.com that I'll also link my sources in. Until next time, keep those little noggins on a swivel and please try to stay safe, you guys. Bye!